Hi, and welcome back to the Mindful Sport Performance Podcast. I'm Dr. Keith Kaufman. And I'm Dr. Tim Pinnell. And we are very excited to be joined today by Chad McGeehee. Chad is a meditation teacher who creates, teaches, and researches the impacts of meditation practices on well-being and performance. His work has been featured on ESPN, NPR, and many other media outlets. Chad has taught meditation in various settings, including with current college athletes, retired professional athletes, police officers, and K-12 students and teachers. He uses a teaching approach that incorporates findings from modern neuroscience, along with accessible ways to incorporate the practice into our daily lives. At the University of Wisconsin Athletic Department, Chad became the first ever director of meditation training in major college sports. He's an honorary affiliate of the Center for Healthy Minds at University of Wisconsin-Madison and offers trainings through McGeehee Meditation Consulting. So thank you so much, Chad, for joining us today. We are really excited to talk with you and, and all this amazing work that you're doing. Yeah. yeah, thanks to both of you for, for having me on and, and thank you for your years of work. Thank you. Yeah, yeah thank you um, So Chad was, was kind enough to, to uh, agree to lead us in a brief practice to start today. Um, and we'll just sort of give our, our standard disclaimer that if, if you are somewhere where you can't give full attention to the exercise Chad will be leading, maybe just listen for now and then come back and, and try it when, when it would be safe or, or comfortable to do so. Um, so thank you, Chad, for, for doing this. We're excited to see what you've got for us. Yeah, absolutely. So I just invite everyone to choose a posture that they think is going to work for them right now whatever that may be, it may be seated, it may be standing, it may be lying down, it may be walking. And whatever posture you're choosing, I invite you to bring in two qualities. Quality of feeling relaxed, however that shows up for you. The quality of being alert. So finding this balance in your body. And of course you can move during the practice. There's no extra points for being a meditation statue. And let's begin by establishing some mindfulness. So to do that, it can be really helpful to bring attention to anchors that are happening in the present moment. It might be the contact points your body has with the floor, with furniture, air touching your skin. It may be the rhythm of breathing There may be sounds that are arriving to your ears. 
choosing an anchor that's happening in the present moment and bringing your attention to that anchor and letting it rest there. And if it hasn't happened already, it will happen that the mind will wander. No problem. The moment you notice the mind has wandered off, that is the moment of mindfulness. That's the moment when there's a little bit of space. And in that space, we can choose what to do with our attention. And in this practice, choosing to bring your attention back to your anchor. And now with this base of mindfulness, with this awareness of what's happening moment after moment in your mind and body, I invite you to bring to mind a value that's important to you. The guiding principle, maybe something like hard work, rigor, creativity, compassion, joy. And as you bring these values to mind, see if there's one that, as you're listening now, kind of stands out. Keeping that value in mind. And notice what pops up, what thoughts pop up, what images come up. Maybe memories. And make sure you're aware of the felt sense in your body of what it feels like as you have this core value in mind. Now taking a moment to imagine or visualize what it would look like if this core value was driving your behavior, something you're going to do after you listen to this podcast. Something you're going to do later today or tomorrow. So that your anchor and how you live in the world can be this value. And letting go of any effort you're making with this meditation on your value and coming back to your mindfulness practice, just aware of what's happening in your mind and body. Of course, there's no right or wrong, just curious. And if eyes have closed, feel free to open them, move your body any way you'd like. And so this is a a practice uh, that combines a a couple of elements that I think are interesting in meditation training is the sort of thing that I've done with a lot of student athletes and, and others who I've had the pleasure of training with in meditation. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that, that exercise. And I, I, 
it felt very much, I was like, oh yeah, like you are a mindfulness teacher, right? Because <laughs> um, I could, it was like this really lovely, I felt like integration of like both a conceptual piece of like, hey, this is kind of what mindfulness is. And this is like how to how to be in it, right? It's this balance between alertness and relaxation and, and there are anchors for your attention. You know, and of course the experiential piece of actually tuning into those anchors. And so it was like, I feel like normally, you know, you get like one or the other at one time, you know, someone's like, let me explain mindfulness and now let's watch the breath. And it's like, oh no, actually when you're introducing this to someone for the first time, it's probably helpful to toggle back between both. Um, so I kind of, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Thanks. Yeah, I think it's a lot of fun to start to mix the kind of the frameworks and the practice together. Uh, you know, as, uh, you know, Sharon Salzberg talks about, you know, we don't meditate to become great meditators. We meditate to have great lives. So how do we start to bring the practice out of any theoretical realm, which can be interesting, uh, but make it applied, make it useful, make it felt in the body so that it has a sense of depth to it uh, right away. Yeah. Well, yeah, that bridge you made to like thinking about the value and then like, okay, how does that manifest in action? Like what happens next? Um, so yeah, I, I'd be curious, you know, cause it felt like, okay, like we're doing like a nice, like this is like a foundational breathing exercise. And then like the values piece was like a left turn. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting addition. So I was curious, like how, like why do you pick this one? Or like, how is it that you use this one? Or why do you use this one when you do with the athletes you work with? Yeah, I, I think the reason I wanted to do this one with you all is I think there's a certain, um, kind of understanding from a lot of folks of what a mindfulness practice could look like, um, whether that's mindfulness of breathing or mindfulness of the body with a body scan or mindful movement. And those are all really, really important. And that's definitely where I start all of my trainings, you know, so we can get out of that kind of automatic pilot, get out of that automatic reactivity and get into something that's more authentically embodied to what's actually happening. Um, and, and that alone, you know, if somebody just did that for years and years and years, it would be tremendously beneficial for a whole host of reasons. And I also think that can be a base upon which we can train the mind for other qualities. We can kind of take it to the next level. And one of the things that we can train for is to take kind of some of our core values uh, and bring them into our embodied experience so that they're not just you know, I think about it in athletic environments, they're not just words that are on the side of the weight room wall. Mm -hmm. There are things that live in our bodies that actually drive our behaviors. And we can train our mind for that rather than just talk about it and say it's important. We can actually train the mind to use that as an anchor in the same way that we can use sensation of breathing or sensations in the body as an anchor. So kind of expanding what I think is possible uh, with meditation training. Mm. Yeah. And that it resonates, I think, particularly right now, given some of the work that I've been doing with um, kind of the teams that I consult with. Like one of the big things that we've been talking about is motivation. And it's like, how do you maintain motivation in the middle of a pandemic when you don't know what your season is going to look like, or if you're even going to have a season and maybe some teams are practicing in person and some teams aren't. And like, how do you stay connected to the team and, and can continue to do the hard work you need to do even with such an uncertain future. And it has been a lot about connecting to these higher order values. Like if it's not just about the win, like wh why do you show up? Why do you practice? Why do you play? Um, and, 
And right, there are things that still exist that are still very solid and very important, regardless of whether or not we're having a competitive season. And I think exercises like this really help people tune into that, or at least that's the, that's the intention. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's definitely what I'm finding here in Wisconsin. You know, I, when I think about meditation training, what, what I think we're doing here is we're training the mind for performance and well-being. Uh, and these two things, of course, are not mutually exclusive. They're deeply intertwined. Uh, and for a lot of athletes, the reason they may show up initially and be interested in meditation may be on the more performance side of things, uh, but start to quickly see how it impacts all aspects of their lives, whether it's academics, you know, yeah. the relationships, kind of how they show up in the world. And one of the things that's happening, I think, in the pandemic is as competitions are canceled and, and pushed back, and there's a certain amount of uncertainty there that some interest is developing more on the well-being side of things. How can I train my mind for well-being? How can I work with what's happening in my experience? And knowing that when I'm training my mind, my mind is always going to be with me. So what I'm doing now is going to be with me when competition resumes. So the focus may be more on well-being, but it'll be a support for performance when it gets there. Mm. That uh, certainly resonates with with our experiences with MSPE. I know we we talk about that a lot. We've talked about it uh, on the podcast a fair amount. That um, you know, it's it's we name it a performance enhancing uh, program, but but oftentimes the first benefits that we see in going through a formalized training like this are outside of the realm of sport and and other aspects of well being. Um, you know, things like relationships, friendships, um, you know, classroom behavior, things like that. And, and so it is, it, it's really interesting to think about how this pandemic has, has changed even what athletes might be looking for, um, because these traditional objectives, these traditional goals, they're just off the table for, for a lot of athletes right now. Yeah. And in my experience, there seems to be kind of a typical arc, like what you're describing, Keith, of these qualities of mind showing up first in non competitive environments like academics, you know, or in personal life. Um, and I think part of the reason that may be is elite athletes don't want to do things to jeopardize their performance. So I think they start to explore some of these trainings and qualities of mind in areas of their life where there's a little less risk in some ways, and then slowly start to bring it into more of their training. So when they start to bring it into training, maybe it shows up first in the weight room or it shows up first, you know, for a row around the erg, or it shows up, you know, on the practice field. And then little by little, it starts to make its way onto the performance field. Uh, but it tends to show up kind of lag in that way. Or in another way that it seems to show up is in recovery first before it shows up in performance, right? Like people use it for sleep. They use it to help kind of unwind at the end of the day. You know, a common response uh, that folks have to mindfulness practices are that they feel calm. And calm is wonderful. I'm happy that people feel calm and it can really help them sleep. And if they're new to practice and it's the first time they're doing it and it practice lasts longer than a couple of minutes, a lot of people, you know, fall asleep and that can be great to support sleep. But what do we call calm in a high intensity situation? We call that poise. So if we keep the training going, then that ability to stay calm in the midst of really intense situation is something that all athletes are interested in but most athletes don't know how to train for. Yeah. Well, I, I, I wonder if that's a really good segue into this, this really unique role that, that you now have at, at Wisconsin and, and how, 
I mean, pioneering. I don't know if that's a fair word to use. It is that that uh, that the athletics department has has brought you in with this title, um, and and in this capacity. And and we are, you know, we 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 know in a very general sense what you do, but we would love to hear kind of what your day to day looks like and and how how you've been received um, in the athletics department in in what you're offering. Yeah, I, I agree. I think a lot of credit does go to the Wisconsin Athletic Department for seeing the value in this work and seeing what's possible. And they deeply support the idea that we're training the mind for performance and well-being, that this isn't just about, you know, increasing weight room numbers or getting a, you know, free throw percentage to increase. Yeah, of course, we hope those things can happen, but we also want student athletes to be supported and staff to be supported uh, in their overall performance and, and well-being. So I, it's been overall, it's been received really, really, really well. And I think there's a couple reasons for that. So, so my history, uh, I was doing work with a variety of populations, with kids, with teachers, with law enforcement officers, with a whole range of people. Um, and then had an experience to work with a group of retired NFL players. And we created what was as far as I know, the first of its kind mindfulness-based intervention for retired NFL guys. So an eight-week training for these uh, former players. And honestly, I didn't know if it would work. I didn't know if they would think this was a bunch of hippy-dippy out there, woo-woo stuff that they were not going to want to be a part of. Uh, and fortunately, I think they quickly realized that this is a rigorous mental training and that this can support them and this can support what they're trying to accomplish in their lives. And some of them were still on staff at Wisconsin. So they wanted to start to explore how this could benefit student athletes because they had benefited themselves. So we started to explore kind of pilot with a few teams, worked in a consulting role. And that work was proving beneficial for student athletes, for coaches and for staff. And then they ultimately decided that it made sense to kind of create a position uh, so that more and more student athletes and staff can benefit. Yeah, that's, it's just so amazing. And I just like hearing how, how it was like developed in this organic way. And it's like, it, it, not to such a large extent, but I feel like we've absolutely seen that in some of the spaces we've worked in. I mean, because it's the, I mean, as much as we talk about like process over outcome, you know, like the outcome matters. Um, and so, yeah, to work with, and this happened at a couple schools I've worked at now, but like you work with one team um, and they really enjoy it and start to have a little bit of success. And then another coach gets interested and then another coach gets interested and suddenly you work with two teams or three teams and it, because they really start to see the shift, the change, the impact that this kind of training can have. Um, and it is, I mean, I think quite profound as you're saying, like so far beyond just the weight room numbers or, or the athlete stats, like it really enhances well-being. I mean, it treats them like whole people, right? And I think that's... <clears throat> It, to me, it often feels like that's lacking, I think, in, in sport environments, particularly when, you know, when money's involved, right, in professional sports or the NCAA, um, that it's like, we, wanna, we want these bodies to perform as well as we can. It's one specific task, but that is only one part of their identity. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and, and one of the things that I'll tell student athletes is, do I think everything we're going to do in this training can make you a better volleyball player, rower, soccer player? Absolutely. Do I think it can also make you a better son, daughter, community member, you know, citizen? Absolutely. And all of those things matter. And I'm here to support you in all of that. 
Um, and there's been a couple moments where um, I feel like that's really come to life, where kind of that integration and the team started to see some of like the, the, the deep value and make it a normal part of their training. Um, you know, the way I think about this is this is strength and conditioning for the mind. Mm-hmm. You know, 40, 50 years ago, right? Elite athletes weren't really many lifting weights. And now, of course, it's uh, a huge industry and a lot of scientific evidence to support how we can do this. And I think what we're talking about and what you all are pioneering as well is on a similar trajectory that we'll look back in 10, 15 years. And this way of training the mind will be just as commonplace as, as training the body is today. And there was one moment in particular early on when I was training with a team where, where I could see this, where I thought this vision was starting to come to life. And it was in the football weight room. Um, and I had led a practice, uh, a guided meditation after one of their lifts. And then, you know, like teams do, they get together and they do a break, right? Break it down. And a captain or a coach says whatever they say, right? And then they do the break. So we're there and the captain turns to me and says, all right, Chad, break us down. And I'll admit my first response was not appropriate language for the podcast. I didn't say it <laughs> Mindfulness to be aware of the thought without saying it. Uh, and then I had my hand in the air with a hundred football players around me talking about training the mind and how this can be a deep support. And then it, we broke it down. And it was in that moment that the future that I thought was possible, I knew I was starting to live in. Moments like I, that are just so powerful. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and maybe this, this is going into the weeds and I apologize because this, this is where I geek out a little bit because I've, I've consulted in athletics departments and, so how, how how does it work? How like do do teams express interest in working with you? Do you work more with individuals? Um, you know, is is it kind of a mix in in your role? And how much support do you feel like you've gotten from from coaches, from administrators overall? I mean, this this is just such a fascinating, different kind of role, and I I am so curious to know what what it's been like for you. And and you're doing this in the middle of the pandemic, right? You started this role. When after COVID it hit, correct? Am I? Am I... I started kind of in the in the full time capacity. I'd been consulting for a couple of years with with mm-hmm. teams, so I think that's an important. You know, it wasn't a cold start. Um, sure. mm-hmm. You know, in the pandemic, there was momentum with with some teams and staff underway. But yeah, I mean, your 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 question is a really interesting one, Keith, and there's a lot to explore in there. Um, so one thing that I think is really important. Um, and, and why I was so excited about this possibility of being an embedded person in the athletic department is this position is designed to support student athletes, staff, and coaches. One, because the well being and performance of all of those people matter uh, and they should be tended to. Uh, and the other is that meditation training uh, isn't just a bunch of uh, ideas, it's an embodied experience. So this coaches and the staff need to have a felt sense of what is possible with this training if they're going to have an idea of how to support their student athletes. Uh, and there are some people in the athletics department who were a part of that retired NFL player training uh, who had that felt sense. And I think without that, we would not have been able to move in this direction of uh, an embedded position. And then beyond that, kind of what does it look like? There are team trainings, there's small group trainings, there's one-on-one trainings. Uh, and like you said, there's there's a certain kind of you know trailblazing that's happening here. So I feel like I'm constantly in prototype development of working with collaborators to figure out how to do this. 
And one of the amazing things about being embedded is that collaboration. Yeah. So I have a certain you know, background and you know, expertise in mindfulness and meditation, but I get to work with experts in strength and conditioning, performance nutrition, uh, sports medicine, clinical sports psychology, these amazing collaborators who have been open and receptive, as well as the expertise of student athletes and coaches so that we can figure out what are the best ways to be able to do this one anecdotally, but then also, as you mentioned at the top, I, I remain affiliated with the Center for Healthy Minds, which is a research group, so that we can start to do empirical investigations of what is happening here. So we're not just making it up and hoping that it works, but we can start to begin the process of uh, investigating it scientifically to understand uh, how these results are happening and what might we shift so that more and more student athletes, staff, and coaches can benefit. Hmm. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you about that, about the the collaboration with Healthy Minds, and 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 how how much that research piece is integrated into what what you're doing in this role. Uh, it's uh, it's deeply integrated. Um, I think it's really important that mindfulness and meditation work that's happening has a solid foundation in scientific evidence. Um, so that's one way is that it manifests the choices that I'm making from a programmatic training level is rooted in what do we know scientifically from other research, some of it which happened in sport, a lot of which hasn't happened in sport, because as both of you know, uh, we're just beginning in general understanding mindfulness and meditation from a scientific perspective, but especially in sport environments. So for example, one of the ways that this shows up, um, and both of you I'm sure are familiar with Amishi Jha's lab at University mm -hmm. of Miami, right? Doing mm -hmm. amazing, really cool work, especially around attention. And they did this study uh, with pre-deployment Marines. Uh, and they found, and, and they did, I think it was like a four week training before deployment. And of course we know deployment is a really stressful, challenging time for everybody. And so at baseline, the two groups were familiar, you know, one group did the, the training, the control group didn't. And after deployment, those that did the training, their scores across all sorts of categories of resilience, you know, cognitive skills were at the same baseline as they were before they deployed, whereas the other group went way down. So how does that impact what's going on now? These are unbelievably stressful times that we are living in, right? Our country's coming head to head with a reckoning of 400 years of institutional racism. We just went through an extremely challenging election season, right? We're in the middle of a pandemic. So what are our expectations? Our expectation maybe should be shifted away from constantly getting better to just being okay. And that is a fantastic outcome. So it's one thing for me to just say that, but then to be able to point to scientific evidence that says how this can support us, I think allows folks to buy in, to get it at a different level than just, hey, trust me, I'm Chad. Um, let's look at some of the scientific evidence that gives us reason to believe that what we're doing here can actually be beneficial. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just think, I, I think having that data, I mean, having that science behind it is so important, so powerful, certainly for that like an initial, initial buy-in. I think people like that. Like, okay, there's some research evidence here, but then also, um, Right. So that we know, you know, as, as the practitioners, as the teachers, like what works, why are we doing the things that we're doing and being able to look at it from all these different perspectives that like, I, right. I think what you're naming now, like the, the protective factor here, mm -hmm. right. Is so, so important 
but so hard to kind of articulate or explain to people that like, hold on, so you're saying I'm going to do this and I'm not going to change it all. And that's a good thing. And you're like, yes, it's a very good thing, right? Because when we look at all these stressors, right, we know the negative impact they could have on you. And this serves to right, enhance resiliency. And we've actually found similar results in an MSP study that we did over the course of a season. We found um, this group of athletes that got MSPE didn't change on measures of depression, whereas this control group kind of got more, more depressed. Um, and it was like, well, so at first you're seeing no change, but it's like, oh, but in comparison to the control group, like they probably were going to get more depressed, but they didn't. That's huge. It is huge. And that's where I think, you know, mindfulness and meditation is, is pretty radical in how it approaches the world in a whole host of ways. So it's, in, we're in this really unique situation in, at Wisconsin that there's enough support to be able to explore this, you know, because meditation, from my perspective, one of the things that meditation says very clearly is you are perfectly okay exactly as you are and you can get better. Mm-hmm. And so how do we kind of hold both of these things to be true, right? In sport, we're really good at the, and you can get better part uh, and spend a lot of time there. And there's truth to that in all sorts of ways. But what about the part that says you are okay exactly as you are? And I would argue that if athletes, coaches, all of us can tap into that quality, where we have a sense of okayness, a sense of balance, a sense of, of enoughness, if you will, that then our ability to then train to get better is starting from a different baseline. And I think we'll be able to see performance and well-being goals hurdled at an even quicker rate. Well, I know something I see, I feel like almost every day in the work that I do is sport actually says the opposite and, and might actually be turned off in some ways by the idea of we're okay the way we are, that there's this idea of wanting to push ourselves down to somehow motivate ourselves to climb the mountain, right? That convince ourselves we're inadequate because that's going to become our source of motivation and, and this, this culture of fear. Um, and, and so I think one, one of the things, uh, and you are speaking to this, but I guess to put a really fine point on it, it's like here you are in this role, bringing this entirely different way of thinking into this environment where you know, so they, they speak a different language in some ways. And, and so I know like in, in MSPE, one of the ideas we see this come up a lot with is non-striving, right? We, we use that Kabat-Zinnian idea of non-striving. And so I, I don't know if you talk about non-striving specifically or, or sort of that idea though of you're okay the way you are. How, how do you introduce that to athletes? How, how do you help them to understand that, you know what, using fear as your primary source of motivation it might work in some ways, but it's it's got some pretty devastating side effects. And here's this other thing you might you might be able to try. I think one of the ways that it sh- shows up in a lot of different ways, but one of the ways that I think has been and will continue to be critical is relationships and conversations that I have with coaches and staff. So if I'm going to work with student athletes on something, the head coach, the other coaches need to know what it is. They need to know why it matters. And then we can have dialogues to make sure that they're on board, but also arrive at language that makes sense for these student athletes. Um, You know, we don't want to get caught, you know, uh, staring at the finger that's pointing at the moon. You know, an elite athlete may call Uh, it being in the zone or being in flow and somebody else might call it mindfulness or awareness. They're just words. 
so let's not get too worried about that and really point to the experience while at the same time language matters because it can shut people off or open people up. So one example of this, um, you know, kind of traditional language that in some mindfulness based interventions, you know, talk about compassion. And, and I've heard both of you talk about compassion and, and how you've worked with it. Um, but compassion for some folks can bring up a sense of kind of syrupy, vulnerable, you know, I'm not going there. I am tough. And that is my identity. Uh, so with athletes, I can I'll talk with them about the root of compassion. So the Latin root of compassion, there's two parts, right? Calm and passion. The calm is to be with and passion is suffering or difficulty. So literally, at its root, compassion is the ability to be with challenge, to be with difficulty. And that takes strength. That takes courage. Right? That takes resilience. So it allows them to maintain some sense of their identity, of uh, kind of their toughness identity, while introducing this element of openness, right, of this possibility of being with things in a slightly different way. And then this is where I get really fired up is it's not my job to tell them how it works. It's my job to give them enough of a direction to go explore for themselves to see how it works. And then I can continue to support them over months and years as this develops. So as you pointed out, Tim, um, I see myself, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a meditation teacher and I just happen to work with athletes. Yeah. Uh, and so them having the embodied experience and the insights of being able to do it and I'm not just one and done, see you later. It's over you know, months and years that they get to kind of spiral up with their insights. Yeah, yeah. Um, it just, that whole mindset, that whole approach, it just, you know, as you're describing it, it just feels so holistic, you know, like kind of tapping in at all these different layers, you know, whether it's kind of within the athletic department, making sure you're talking to administrators, talking to coaches and talking to athletes, right? This idea of everyone's got to be on the same page. And certainly we, we really emphasize that a lot in MSBE as well, because these are, these are systemic things that are impacting the athletes that we're working with. And so, yeah, we need all parts of the system working. Um, and getting that buy-in from all parts of the system can be so hard. And I'm really tuning into kind of something that you're saying, which I really, I'm really liking about how, you know, you're emphasizing the rigor of it. And I think oftentimes we're almost like, like apologetic, like, oh, I'm sorry, we're adding this on your schedule. I'm sorry, it's so hard. But it's like, oh, you're athletes. You like doing hard things. You like pushing yourself, right? And because you said it, I caught it when you said it about the NFL players, uh, those retired NFL players are like, oh yeah, they figured out this is a really rigorous mental training program. And it's like, oh yeah, let's not shy away from the rigor. Like that might be what makes it really appealing to athletes. Like this is hard work that you're doing for yourself, for your sport, for your team. That's what you're good at. I completely agree. And when I think about rigor, um, I mean, I think about it in a couple of ways. One is I love, you know, I've been a meditator for 20 years uh, and I've benefited tremendously from practice. And as it starts to become more and more mainstream, we're going to get versions of it that are more mic mindfulness um, or versions that are kind of a shell of what's possible. Yeah. And I'm not saying I've got it somehow figured out, but at least from my neck of the woods, I want to present these practices in a way that maintain their rigor. Mm -hmm. That doesn't just sell out for performance. I think there's so much more that we can do. And then to your second point, these athletes are absolutely amazing at training. 
They're just used to training their bodies. So this is just a small shift to training their minds. They're used to doing things that give them fractional advantages that add up over time. That's exactly what's happening with this sort of meditation and mental training. They're just kind of slowly but surely um, impacting their performance and well-being. While at the same time, there's practices we can do that are quick, kind of state-shifting practices. I call them integrated practices. Just really quick practices uh, you know, you may have seen the line from Coach Tom Coughlin, the NFL coach, retired uh, front office guy. He talks about be where your feet are. Mm. That's a great line. <laughs> How do you train for that? Yeah, It's really easy. You just bring attention right now to the sensations that are happening in your feet. Mind may wander. No problem. Choose to bring attention back to the sensations that are right here. So if a quarterback does that pre-snap, then the quarterback is no longer thinking about, you know, I've got 80 yards to go and we're down by seven or I got creamed by the edge rusher last time. The quarterback is present, can see more clearly what is happening and then do what coaches say all the time. Just trust yourself and go play. But how do we get past just saying those things and actually train the mind to be able to do that? And that's where I think this work is uh, uniquely situated to do that. Meditation was built to train the mind. So again, I, I think you're, you're alluding to this and speaking to it, but I, I find myself curious just to kind of put a fine point on it. You know, one of the things that we really emphasize in MSPE, in fact, it's, it's really the focus of, of the first chapter of our book is on commitment and, and what a commitment it takes to be able to really benefit from this, right? And and I think, again, you're talking about that with how integrated you are within the system. This is not a one-off parachuting in kind of thing. You're going to be there for, for years. Um, what are you seeing in terms of, of the commitment? Are you seeing teams using this as a part of daily practice? Are you seeing teams bringing you in on a regular basis? Are, are, are you is it's again? I know it's early days as as you're crafting this new role, and and so and I maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but I, I'm so fascinated by that, by that aspect of this of of how how you're seeing that part unfold. I I share your fascination, and this is one of those questions that I hope is still being asked, that I'm asking, that we're asking together in 10, 15, 20 years, because we won't know the answer, right? Like there's questions of dosage effect that we just don't know, right? Um, uh, frequency, we just don't know scientifically. Uh, but one of the things that I think about a lot is uh, for those of us that are in positions of teaching meditation to others, a lot of times we came to practice because we had some sort of challenge or difficulty in our life, right? And this allowed us to work with that. And then we benefited from it. So we kept doing it in a sustained, rigorous, daily sort of way. That's not what's happening oftentimes, like in the situation I'm in with the student athletes I'm working with, right? Somebody says, a coach says, strength coach says, head coach says, hey, we're gonna do some meditation training, right? We've heard it's good, I, I met this guy, like we're just, we're gonna start to explore. So I think it's unrealistic to expect um, all student athletes from the start to do a daily practice. I think that it's gonna go in fits and starts over time. Some of them may do a daily practice and some of them are. Um, I just talked to one of the uh, golfers yesterday who's done mindful walking every day for the past six months. And now he can't imagine a world where he's not doing mindful walking to start off his day. Whereas other athletes, they just kind of maybe touch in 
here and there over time. And maybe that's enough. Like, I don't, who am I to say like, what's right for people to be able to do? It's more kind of what's going on in your mind and body. Is it working for you? Great. Then keep at it. Right. Are there things that you want to train for? Well, here's some ways we can start to train for it and then build programs that allow them to do that. Yeah. And uh, like, I, that is, I feel like a lesson I've learned, had to learn, you know, over time doing this is like, you got to just be so be mindful, right? You got to be open and accepting and patient, right? That people are going to go at their own speeds, right? Like you said before, you, you give them kind of the, the opportunities for these experiences and, and they then need to pick it up and, 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 and run with it, right? And figure out ways to embrace it. Um, and so, yeah, it's like exposing them to all different kinds of, of approaches to meditation and, and like, so that they can find the thing that works for them. Um, but yeah, having no idea when that light bulb is gonna, is gonna go off. Honestly, I remember like one of the most satisfying experiences I had um, was when an athlete that I had worked with for, I'd been working with her team for I think three years at that point. But, the, but like at the end of the last season, she had left the team. So she was no longer on the team anymore, but she had participated in all the mindfulness stuff, right? Um, and we saw each other kind of outside of the sport, sport context. I was working at the university in, an, in another role. Um, this was a college athlete. And she was like, you know, I finally got all that mindfulness stuff you were talking about. And like, it's really helped me in this way. And it's really helped me in this way. And I read this book and it was amazing. And it's like, and I'm like, I'm so happy. This is amazing. And it's not impacting her sport performance at all because you're not an athlete anymore. But like, but sure, that was your journey. And eventually it clicked and that it just made me feel so good. It's fascinating, right? To that, like have those experiences and, and see how it shows up over time. And I think it really speaks to, you know, those of us that are in situations where we're supporting others in mindfulness and meditation about our own practice and the embodiment of our own practice and our own, you mentioned non-striving earlier. So how is non-striving showing up for us, right? Striving looks like I want them to get it. I want yeah. them to benefit. I want them to see it clearly. I want them to apply it. And I want them to do it on a timetable that makes me feel good, right? So that's all like my attachment showing up. So if I'm able to see that more clearly, then I'm able to say, oh, I don't know if this is really skillful. And I can maybe let that go and meet the student athlete or meet the people that are actually in front of me. And that's one of the things as, as hopefully this position is, is the first of its kind in the nation. And there'll be many others that are able to do this sort of work. So when I think about um, how that can grow, I think it's really important. And we know this from a lot of research in other areas, but the embodiment of the teacher and their personal experience with practice matters a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, that these you know, ideas are just rumors until they're known in the body. So we can't just listen to it and get it, right? It has to like filter in. We have to know it kind of in our bones. And so anybody I think who is listening and wants to continue to support, maybe bring this into their environments, my advice is to, you know, quote unquote, get your butt on the cushion. It's just practice. Yeah. Just do it for yourself. The intervention is the teacher's nervous system. So regardless of what's said, regardless of what's taught, right? It's, it's nervous system and nervous system that's doing some teaching. And of course, we can try to get as skillful as possible with our language and our programming and all of that. But if it's not starting from that foundation of a felt sense experience, uh, then I think what's going to be taught is shallow and, and hollow. So let's just not do that. Yeah. I love that. The intervention is the nervous system. <laughs> yeah. I, I like that a lot. 
Um, well, thank you so much, Chad, for for joining us today. This this has been so interesting, and and we're we're so fascinated by the work that you're doing, and appreciative of of the trail you're blazing here. Um, yes. And as you yeah. said, we we sincerely hope as well that that other programs have have folks like you, and and it's just so um, important. And and I appreciate too. I mean, I, I think you know, any, any information that's available out there on you, it, it seems like you're really emphasizing this dual performance and well-being mission and, and just how, how critical that is, especially at a time like this and, and how stressed uh, we all are. So, so thank you for joining us and thank you for the work that you're doing. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah, thank you. This was, it was really fun to, to talk with both of you and meet you. have been following your work for years uh, and sincerely hope that we're able to keep the conversation going. And and there's more and more people that are able to join in this conversation so that that future of this training being just as normal as training the body is one that we see sooner rather than later. I think for a whole host of reasons, uh, our country and our athletic departments and our teams would be better off. And I look forward to, to being one of the people that's in the middle of that. Yeah. Well, if, if you're able to, do you want to share any ways that our listeners can get more information about you or the work you're doing? Absolutely. Yeah, folks can, can contact me um, via LinkedIn, via the uh, Wisconsin Athletic Department. Um, always interested in collaborating with folks, partnering, expanding the benefit of these practices, uh, and meeting other people who are on a similar trajectory, who are interested in sharing these practices in a way that can deeply and authentically uh, support people and, and allow for the possibility of greater well-being, less suffering, and maybe even a little transformation. That sounds good. Yeah. So yes, yeah, hopefully we can, we can keep that conversation going as well. And um, for any listeners who want to reach out to us, the MSP Institute, uh, please visit our website at www.mindfulsportperformance.org. Uh, you can also visit our MSPE Facebook page. Uh, we also have a brand new companion YouTube page um, that goes along with our podcast and, and where you can find the different exercises that, that folks have led for us, um, including, you know, Chad's will be up there at some point, if, if that's okay with you, Chad, and love to be able to, to put that on our YouTube channel. Um, we also have a new Instagram page for our podcast, and the handle there is at mindful underscore sport, underscore podcast. Um, and you're also uh, welcome to follow me, Dr. Keith Kaufman on Twitter. And my handle is at mindful sport doc. So lots and lots of ways to connect with us. Um, and, and so thank you to everyone for, for listening. Uh, we also want to take a moment and, and thank our producer, Taylor Brown from Enduro Mind and SportGo, um, and our colleague, Dr. Carol Glass for all of her support of our podcast behind the scenes. Um, so thank you again to Chad. Thank you to everyone for listening and we will see you next time. Yeah. Thanks everybody. Bye.